0: Do you feel what is being injected into the skies can be causing issues like burning eyes, persistent coughing, uh, ra- and rather than the fires, the smoke from the fires causing it? Like, what are the chemicals that they're using? And I know that there's some had said there's mercury and, and different things, but how is that affecting people medically? Do you know? I,
1: I haven't really delved into that too much, but I know that there's a lot of aluminum, barium, uh, sulfur related compounds that uh, are being emitted and yes could they be affecting eyes and and uh, throat irritation definitely
0: right there's reports actually coming out that uh, it is causing it's affecting and causing dementia and yep. uh, neuro- neurological well. yeah neurological problems So I believe, you know, that it's a chemical that's being dropped upon the earth. And the other part of that um, would be then, do you think that this chemical residue that is uh, ending up on the earth surface and on our plants is helping to ignite the fires?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've heard uh, talk about that and it falls in line with that USDA uh, report And they actually did experimentation with uh, chemicals such as napalm and a few other chemicals back uh, during that time. So has that advanced since then? Definitely. So directed energy weapons can deny entrance to an area or prevent enemy forces or assets from functioning within an area. Directed energy weapons used for denial do not cause long-term damage to targets. And when enemy forces or assets leave the area, They typically regain function or the effect is mitigated. That's basically the the deny here, which can be used on humans as well. For example, the Department of Defense's active denial system uses millimeter waves that interact with the water and fat molecules in a person's skin to create a heating sensation. During testing, the discomfort
2: persuaded individuals to move away from the area.
3: First, I'd like to introduce our special guest speaker. We are so pleased that Mike Beckwith is joining us on the Empower Hour this evening. Mike comes from a technical and business background. He has a chemical engineering technology diploma, a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering, and a master's degree in business administration. While in tech school, he took a number of environmental courses on air, water, and soil, and over the last several years, he studied current and historic details about climate change. By accessing government documents, military, and UN papers, Mike has researched the historical progression of geoengineering, which is the unprecedented large-scale manipulation of our weather. He continues to bring awareness to citizens and politicians climate change alarmism and how it's affecting our economy, our freedoms, and our health and welfare. Will you all please help me welcome Mike Beckwith. Hello, Mike. Thank you for joining us today, and welcome to the Empower Hour.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Thank you so much, Heather. Welcome, Mike. Oh, my goodness. We're really looking forward to your presentation tonight and having this conversation. Uh, previously, we've had Jeff Snitzer on and, uh, you know, talking about what's going on policy-wise regarding the 15-minute cities. We've had Robert on regarding the fires and just bringing this whole picture together as how the government and the globalist elites are working to strategically put a... Um, scenario in place to you know give the masses the idea that uh, climate change is real and the only way and the solutions are to get us into 15-minute cities and geoengineering weather modification plays a big role in that and and so I think this is going to be a really important piece to the puzzle and uh, anyways I'm just going to hand the floor over to you and look forward to your presentation.
1: So further to that comment, what I would actually like to even ask people is what is the Earth's climate, naturally? From the research I've done, I don't think anybody that's on the Earth right now, well, maybe some of the elders, but most people on the Earth now actually don't truly understand what the true climate is. I think it's been manipulated for such a long time that we've lost touch with, with what it is naturally. So Every, if you go back to the 70s, there was all talk about global cooling, that we were going to go into another ice age. And then there was talk about the ozone layer depletion. And then we moved into global warming. But the global warming part didn't work. So they had to redub it to global climate change. So this has been used as a backstop for a lot of politicians and people of influence to try to manipulate uh, what we do, how our our everyday lives. Um, So we've been subjected to a big push on electrification and especially here in Canada, the carbon tax. Um, But something that isn't talked about when we're looking at this is uh, geoengineering. As uh, was previously stated, geoengineering is a large-scale manipulation of a specific process central to controlling Earth's climate for the purpose of obtaining a specific benefit. So what are those benefits? And who's deciding whether those benefits are good or not good? Um, Well, there's evidence that geoengineering has been going on since the late 1800s. it started with some fairly crude, uh, like weather balloon related experiments that were done in the, like, I think 1870s, 1880s is when it, it started. And it's just grown since then. And if you go back to the time of the Vietnam War, there was a lot of talk and a lot of controversy after that that the US government was using weather manipulation as acts of war. And there was a lot of denial from government officials on that. But then eventually, information did start coming out.
2: And I'm just going to share my screen here and show some some documents. So this is an article
1: that was put up, and it was originally from the early 70s. Here it was from July 1972. And this was talking about rainmaking used as a weapon by the U.S. during the Vietnam War. So this is a scan of the document, but here it's been um, rewritten. So here it says the United States has been secretly seeding clouds over North Vietnam, Laos, and South Vietnam to increase and control the rainfall for military purposes. Government sources, both civilian and military, said during an extensive series of interviews that the Air Force cloud seeding program has been aimed most recently at hindering movement of North Vietnamese troops and equipment and suppressing enemy and aircraft missile fire. The disclosure confirmed a growing speculation in congressional and scientific circles about the use of weather modification in Southeast Asia. Despite years of experiments, so here they're even saying years of experience prior to the war, with rainmaking in the United States and elsewhere, scientists are not sure they understand its long-term effect on the ecology of the region or even the Earth. So there was some opposition against that. There was people asking some questions But the intent was to basically drench the enemy so that they can't move. So it would impair their logistics. It would impair the morale of the troops that were on the ground. Uh, So here it says, talks about muddying roads and flooding lines of communication. But there were also many military and government officials who expressed doubt that the project had
2: caused any dramatic results. But I think that uh, history has shown that there was. Uh, so
1: they used a method for developing or for treating clouds with a chemical that eventually produced an acidic rainfall capable of fouling the operation of North Vietnamese radar equipment used for directing surface-to-air missiles. So what that did is the uh, acidity then affected equipment on the ground because of acid rain, and it was uh, uh, promoting you know, decay of the equipment, rust, etc., and stuff wouldn't work. So a few of the things here that they were targeting was providing rain and cloud cover for infiltration of South Vietnamese commando and intelligence teams into North Vietnam. As I mentioned, it served as a spoiler for North Vietnamese attacks and raids on South Vietnam, altering or tailoring the rain patterns over North Vietnam and Laos to aid United States bombing missions and diverting North Vietnamese men and material from military operations to keep muddied roads and lines of communication in operation. So this goes into a lot more detail on that, and uh, I encourage people to read these documents as well for yourselves. Now on the flip side to that, I recently came across this document and this document is talking about using forest fires as a military weapon. So it's basically the flip side of what the first one was. And this was done by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And they initiated a study on how that they could use wildfires, again, basically for the same purpose as the rain, as a military weapon. So they went through a whole bunch of testing and study. And they figured out that if they pre-plan it, they can artificially dry out a certain area using certain chemicals. And then they can initiate small, little localized fires that will eventually grow and actually grow into each other to turn into a massive fire. They found that you just setting one big fire wasn't as effective as setting a bunch of small fires that would then grow into one massive one.
2: So I'm just going to show you the top here of this document so everybody can see where it's coming from. It's a big document. It talks about a whole bunch of stuff. But So this report from the U.S. Department of Agriculture from June of 1970, force fire is a military weapon. So there was a bunch of other information that I got, and... Uh, Actually, I've got to state
1: that uh, I got it from a Twitter handle. The handle was agent131711. So, if anybody's on Twitter or X now, um, look up
2: that, uh, that profile and you'll probably find even more information than what I'm going to show you here. Um, So just some of the information that was talked about there. Oh, I've got to go over here. Oh, sorry, I forgot to I mentioned here.
1: Uh, as part of uh, going back to the military using rainfall, they actually came out and said, or they was dubbed to Operation Popeye, which actually Ripley's has actually admitted that it was there. Um, for some websites for people to look at, Here's one, it's called Weather Modification Association. So the history of this, the Weather Modification Association was organized in 1950 to cultivate a better understanding of weather modification techniques, impacts, and expectations among program sponsors, program operators, and the scientific community and to promote ethical, professional conduct and a free exchange of information. So let's go on back 70 years. So, if weather modification wasn't really
2: going on back then, why was this group organized? So, to show here some government documents, this is from the United
1: States. So, the 109th Congress, they passed this bill called H.R. 2995. And what it's called is to establish the Weather Modification Operations and Research Board and for other purposes, Uh, again from 2005, so 18 years ago. So the purpose of this act is to develop and implement a comprehensive and coordinated national weather modification policy and a national cooperative federal and static, or sorry, state program of weather
2: modification research and development. So there's proof that they know that weather weather modification is ongoing. Uh, going back to the 1970s,
1: uh, the governments that were involved in the UN, so all the countries that were UN partners, got together and they basically made an agreement that they're not going to use these weather modification uh, technologies, we want to call them that, against each other, against these uh, partner states. So it was called the UN NMOD. So NMOD stands for Environmental Modification. So they had this convention and they all came uh, came to an agreement, which I'll show you here in a minute. But the NMOD convention is specifically intended to prevent use of the environment as a means of warfare by prohibiting the deliberate manipulation of natural processes that could produce phenomena such as hurricanes, tidal waves, or changes in climate. So, a non-exhaustive list of phenomena that could result from the use of environmental modification techniques are earthquakes and tsunamis, an upset in the ecological balance of our region, changes in weather patterns, clouds, precipitation, cyclones, and tornadic storms, changes in climate patterns, changes in ocean currents, changes in the state of the ozone layer, and changes in the state of the atmosphere. Back in the 1970s, wow. They were able to do all of that stuff back then, 50
2: years ago. So just imagine what technology has developed since then. Uh, Here is the UN uh, document
1: from back in the 70s where they came to an agreement, and this is in multiple languages. But here's their definitions, and they're basically stating here, it's a legal document basically stating that they're not going to use these weather modification techniques on the
2: state parties or the state, uh, the countries that are part of the UN. Uh, another another document from recent uh, Congress, this is from the 107th Congress,
1: H.R. 2977. And this bill was dubbed to be the Space Preservation Act of 2001. So it talks about uh, certain weapons, etc. So here the terms weapon and weapon systems mean a device capable of any of the following. So there's a few other things, but I just want to, Focus on a few. And one of them here is directing a source of energy, including molecular or atomic energy, subatomic particle beams, electromagnetic radiation, plasma, or extremely low frequency or ultra low frequency energy radiation against an object. We'll see a little bit more about that a little later on as well. Further in here, it talks about such terms as what they say are exotic weapon systems. And they're saying chemtrails. Well, that's interesting. Aren't they saying that chemtrails don't exist? The only people that believe in chemtrails are those tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorists? Well, this document proves that the government knows about them. Uh, It also talks here about high-altitude, ultra-low-frequency weapon systems, plasma, electromagnetic, sonic or ultrasonic weapons, and laser weapon systems and also chemical, biological, environmental, climate, or tectonic weapons. Tectonic weapons, that that one
2: is interesting as well. That's a significant impact. There was also another project back in about the 60s, and it was called Project Skywater.
1: And it was back in the 1961 Congress where they put some funding to the creation of a weather modification program that was headed by the Bureau of Reclamation. Uh, So Project Skywater came 15 years after these individuals of General Electric Laboratories successfully demonstrated that seeding clouds with nucleating agents like dry ice or carbon dioxide and silver iodide produced rain. So 15 years prior to 1961 puts you back to 1946 right in line with uh, the end of the Second World War. So this document talks about the history of Project Skywater, and it didn't really seem to gain a lot of traction. It wasn't funded as much as some people had hoped, but it's an interesting read if somebody wants to, to get into that.
2: Here in Canada, so here's a Canadian document, and it's called the Weather Modification Information Act.
1: Why in the world would we need one of those if what we're experiencing every day is natural weather? So this document is a very, it's a very small document. There's not much to it. And the bones of it are that the government wants to know. So weather modification activity includes any action designed or intended to produce by physical or chemical means, changes in the composition or dynamics of the atmosphere for the purpose of increasing, decreasing, or redistributing precipitation, decreasing or suppressing hail or lightning or dissipating fog or cloud. So here it is where they want to know if any person proposes to engage in weather modification activities in Canada, that person, which you could probably extrapolate to uh, probably corporations as well, shall in such form and manner as may be prescribed, submit to the administrator such information uh, to the weather and the weather modification activities in what is it is proposed to exa-
2: sorry, engage. So, again, that's the government wanting to know what's going on. This is going back to 1972,
1: where uh, a senator was asked to review well, how much money was spent on some cloud seeding activities. They were carried out in the U.S. So just some highlights here. So background and cost data. So here's a statement. Several federal agencies support weather modification programs which involve cloud seeding activities. Major research programs include precipitation modification,
2: fog and cloud modification, hail suppression, and lightning and hurricane modification. So further here, it talks about Various methods are used to seed clouds
1: from either the air or the ground. In aerial seeding, flares containing silver iodide, the most commonly used seeding material in the U.S., are ignited and dropped from a plane or propane generators. Attached to the wings of a plane are used to burn acetone with silver iodide to produce nuclei, which are delivered at controlled rates into the cloud. Again, Here's a smoking gun, so these generators attached to the wings of a plane. This document is from 1972. And they're even stating here that aerial seeding is considered to be more accurate than seeding from the ground because aircraft can better deliver
2: the nuclei to those clouds or parts of the clouds where the seeding material was desired. So going back a while ago, I just had a number of questions that I
1: thought maybe politicians should have these questions so that they can use those as, as ammo when they're in, say, question period or whatever. And so I sent these questions to uh, the Alberta and federal representatives who were Daniel Smith and Pierre Polyev. So I sent them in two separate emails. So the list of questions that I sent was how long have geoengineering experiments and practices been ongoing? How does geoengineering affect our climate? How many patents are there that pertain to geoengineering? Is the science settled or is the other opinion being suppressed? Why are select data ranges used to predict future impacts? Why do climate change gurus buy waterfront properties? Why were there 400 private jets at the COP27 held in Egypt in November 2022? Why was the Earth warmer during the medieval times? It is accepted science that the Great Lakes were formed by the expansion and contraction of glaciers. So what caused these cooling and warming cycles? What impact does the cycles of the sun have on Earth's climate? Why is a startup company called Make Sunsets deploying sulfur compounds to the stratosphere to block out the sun's rays? And is Canada a net emitter, or does all of the vegetation, vegetation on our land end up being a net carbon sink? So, like I said, I sent those two politicians. The first one went to Daniel Smith. I was kind of hoping for a good response from her, at least some engagement. But she just deferred it to her environment minister, who then I kept in contact with, and I wasn't getting any response. So, I sent emails, I called numerous times. And one time, I just, I had enough of being ignored. And I asked them, I said, well, you don't seem to be giving me answers to these questions. I, I asked them if they needed help with the answers. And that actually did finally promote a response. But unfortunately, that response was just a regurgitation of all of the climate-related initiatives that are ongoing and being pushed by the Alberta government. So it was a complete fail. It was completely off the mark of what I had hoped that a so-called conservative politician would do with such information. So I thought, well, okay, I'll, you know, Pierre Polyev seems to be an up-and-coming, and he's saying a lot of the right things. So I thought, okay, I'll send it to him as well. I got the same response. The only difference was I got a list of stuff that the uh, federal government was pushing for initiatives relative to, to climate change. So again, I basically gave him the same reply that, you know, you you guys, you're you're not getting the point here. So I would encourage, and uh, the the questions can be put on the Action for Canada, if uh, Tanya wants to, to give to other people. If you guys want to use my questions to push your local representatives, please do so. I encourage everybody that wants to do it to push government officials because if more of us do it, we'll actually have a better chance of actually getting something changed. So with those questions, I'm just going to go over, I'm not going to go over all the questions, but I'm just going to give you my, my feedback or my thoughts on those questions. Um, so the first one I want to talk about is, is the science settled? Or is the other opinion being suppressed? My opinion, based on what I've seen and all the research I've done, it is 100% being suppressed. There is so much information out there now. You, all you need to do is just do a little bit of a search. Don't use Google, but if you do a little bit of a search, uh, look on Twitter accounts, look on Telegram accounts,
2: there is a lot of information out there. Um, another important one I want to talk about is... Why are select data ranges used to
1: predict future impacts? Now, this is an article that I saw some time ago put out by the Weather Network where they talk about new climate report. paints a harsh picture of the future of Canada's coastlines. And it's talking about the impacts of CO2
2: on, on the oceans. I just want to focus here on just this graph. And
1: some people have heard of, but maybe some of your viewers haven't, but there's something that's called a hockey stick effect. And what it is, is you take past data and you somehow manipulate it to seem like things are going up at a rapid rate, which is kind of represented here by this this graph. So if you look here, past this point is more of a projection. And that's based on some modeling of past data but if you look at it the data that was used was from about 1985 to about 2005 and in that period there was actually some warming of the earth Um, and they used that select data range to use what's called the mathematical regression analysis And that's just a fancy way of saying you're using data to predict the future. But using just that little period of time influences that regressional analysis, which creates this rapid rise. But if you were to take back to 1950 and use all of that data for your mathematical analysis, this curve would be down here with a little bit of bumps up and down. It would not be as drastic
2: as that. Um, why do climate change gurus buy waterfront properties? My opinion, because they know it's a lie. One video that
1: I saw recently was very interesting. And it was a guy that was at a speech, and he was getting grilled pretty hard by somebody in the audience pushing with regards to initiatives on climate change. And he had to stop her, and he said, okay, just let me throw this at you. If what they're saying is going to happen, does happen, or is truly going to happen, about climate change and all the waterfront is going to change because of all the more water from the melting of the ice caps, why do banks still invest in mortgages in all of these areas where – the climate alarmists are saying we'll be underwater because they know it's a lie too. And they're, you know, they're risk averse all the time. They're not going to put their money out there if they think that it's, it's going to be a
2: loss. Uh, the 400 jets going over to COP27. What I
1: want to talk about or just show on there is some more hypocrisy. Uh, So our governor general flies around talking about climate change initiatives. So recently she went to uh, Finland to talk about climate change. So here she, the latest, almost $40,000 bill for 25,000 liters of jet fuel to fly the governor general to a climate, um, climate conference
2: in Finland in February so she could deliver a speech on the dangers of climate emissions. If you put that into perspective, that amount of fuel and carbon, they say here, so according to
1: online news source Locks reporter, her four-day trip 15-person junket produced an estimated 77 tons of carbon dioxide. So according to Transport Canada, driving the average family van for a whole year only produces 3.5 tons. So here they're
2: beating on us as citizens to reduce the carbon footprint, but they're going ahead and doing this. Um, the other one is, why was the Earth's climate? Oh, sorry, I want to say this too. Michael Bloomberg, who used to be the mayor
1: of, uh, New York, he's got a whole bunch of planes and cars and jets and everything, but he, when he was the mayor, he was pushing for
2: climate change initiatives and reducing carbon, yet, uh. I like this. He's got six planes, three helicopters, 11 houses, and 42
1: cars. But he wants everybody in the world to take public
2: transportation to save the environment. That's hypocrisy. Uh, So the medieval times. Um, there's information out there, again, readily available,
1: of studies that have come to the conclusion and proven. So, a study of semi fossilized trees has proven that world climate was warmer in Roman and medieval times than it is in the modern industrial age, which is now. In general, the scientists found a slow cooling of 0.6 degrees over 2000 years, which then attributed to changes in the Earth's orbit, which we'll talk about a little bit more. that took took us further away from the sun. Such findings are also significant with regard to climate policy as they influence the way today's climate changes are seen in context in historical warm periods. But the main point here is, if things were proven to be warmer during the medieval times, where were the 8 billion people burning hydrocarbons? There weren't. So how can you emphatically
2: Put the blame on us having to drive our cars to go to work, having to heat our homes, as we're the cause. So the cycles of the sun, that's that's a very important part too that we need to look at.
1: So this is an article put out actually by CVC, and there was an initiative out called the prairies climate change project and they asked for story ideas and questions with regards to climate change so one that repeatedly came up was around the solar cycle and in particular how the sun ties climate in ties into climate and climate change so the answer actually is very complex there's a lot of stuff that we still don't know on how the sun interacts with our atmosphere we're learning more but we don't know why everything yet Uh, So it says here further that we all know that the sun and weather go hand in hand. Without the sun, there would be no life on Earth. But the sun is not completely consistent. It goes through cycles, sometimes with lots of activity, and other times with much less. Right now, we're in a solar cycle 25, the 25th cycle. Since we began recording sunspat activity closely in uh, 1775. And that's that 11-year solar minimum, solar maximum cycle. Uh, so, it says here that we're just climbing out of the sun's minimum activity
2: toward a stormy season that they're saying could peak in 2025. Um, so, as we get closer
1: to this peak, what are the implications and what is the connection between sun cycles and climate change? So, it goes through more details in this on the uh, the study that was done. Unfortunately, near the end, the CBC does soften the punch of this article by stating that uh, NASA has come out stating that the sun does not have that much of an influence on our climate which I, I, I just can't get behind that the very ball that gives us life and light doesn't impact our climate so if that's true why are the companies out there like I mentioned make sunsets why are they trying to bl- block out
2: the sun's rays, to combat climate change. That just seems very contradictory. NASA even has put out a document, and this was from February 2020,
1: about a scientist, I think he was about 100 years ago is when he was doing this research, scientist by the name of Milankovitch. And he talked about the cycles of the sun, or sorry, the cycles of the Earth around the sun. And one of the most important things here is he's talking about the cycles. And it talks about the Earth's orbit, known as eccentricity, the angle of the axis, basically, so the angle facing the sun, and the direction of Earth's axis of rotation, how it's pointed. But I think the most important one here is this little picture where it shows as the earth goes around the sun, there's periods where over here, it's actually closer to the sun. So you would expect that warmer periods. And then it progressively gets further away, where this seems to be like a maximum
2: point away from the sun. So you would tend to be cooler. So when you take those into account, it's just, it's hard to definitively state Climate change is just from us burning fossil fuels or hydrocarbons. I'm just going to show real quick the website called Make Sunsets.
1: And what they do is they are injecting an aerosol into the stratosphere as an effective solution to buy time for other efforts to take hold with regards to climate change. The argument here is that they're putting these sulfur-related compounds into the stratosphere to mimic what would happen in, uh, in the event of a volcano, where all that ash and then particulates that goes up into the upper atmosphere,
2: which blocks out the sun, then we would end up in a, a cooling period. Um, So is Canada a, a net emitter or are we a carbon sink?
1: Based on this article, we're carbon sink. And what that means is that our land takes in more CO2 than we, the people of Canada, through all of our personal and
2: industrial activities, put into the atmosphere. So it's talking about Canada is poised to immediately do more to combat climate change
1: than any other country in the world. And it, it says here, well, how is, it, is that going to happen? Well, by doing more of the same. And that what it is is just keeping the same with the uh, Canada being a carbon sink. So it talks about a report from 2014 of the Global Carbon Project, um, which states that global human-induced CO2 emissions were 36 billion tons. Of that 36% stayed in the atmosphere, 20%, 27% was absorbed by water, and 37% was absorbed by land. So the 37% absorbed by land, that is through photosynthesis. That is through the, every green plant that is on the earth. Every blade of grass, every tree, every crop that is grown, takes in carbon dioxide, and it's it's their food. And they emit oxygen for us. So they say 36% stays in the atmosphere, so that's in the air. 27% is absorbed by water. A lot of people may think, well, how is that absorbed by water? A lot of times with that, that's actually being converted into what's called a carbonate or carbonate. And like a magnesium carbonate, a sodium carbonate or something like that. And it's carbon dioxide reacting with other uh, elements in seawater and just being taken up in there. And it actually can deposit into, uh, into solids. So, yeah, here she's talking about absorbed by land and the
2: CO2 being taken into uh, plants. So that's all the questions that I had asked the politicians. And again, it was
1: a complete letdown let, let on their response. Uh, but I've got a few
2: other documents here that I'd like to go over as well. Just other pertinent information. So this one here, this is an article that talks about carbon dioxide
1: rising after temperature increases. Isn't that opposite of what we've been told for decades, that carbon dioxide causes the temperature increase? Well, there's some scientists that are saying, no, that's not necessarily the truth. So there's dramatic new findings from two climate science professors suggesting that an increase in carbon dioxide in the atmosphere follows a rise in temperature rather than coming before it and causing it. So that throws a wrench into the whole argument of human-driven global warming. The scientists propose that higher temperature increase, that the higher temperatures increase the natural process of soil respiration and ocean outgassing, and hence boost natural CO2 emissions. If confirmed, the information destroys the so-called settled science basis upon which the command and control of that zero political agenda depends. So these scientists researched and they found that uh, changes in temperatures and CO2 growth patterns from 1980 to 2019 from a bunch of sources, and they discovered that CO2 values actually lag temperature by about six months. So what's happening is the temperature is going up by some other means on the earth and as a result of
2: that the co2 concentrations are going up
1: so there's other uh not these these two but there's other researchers struggling to find evidence to support the notion Or are sorry no, so scientists are not the only researchers struggling to find evidence to support the notion that carbon dioxide human-caused or otherwise is the global global climate thermostat knob so in 2015, a group of scientists led by Professor Ole Humlum of University of Oslo found a similar monthly lag between CO2 and temperature, again using a selection of widely available data sets for the period of 1980 to 2011. The researchers found that changes in CO2 always lag temperatures, or always lagged changes in temperature. They're stating that the lag was around 9 to 10 months, for global surface air temperatures, and about nine months from lower troposphere temperatures. So that's just talking about temperatures of different layers in the atmosphere.
2: Uh, So this article goes in further more details on that. So going back in 2019,
1: there was a list of about 500 Climate experts that sent a letter to the UN stating that uh, there is no climate emergency. So, what a snippet of what they said was a global network of more than 500 knowledgeable and experienced scientists and professionals in climate and related fields have the honor to address you, Your Excellencies, in the attached European Climate Declaration, for which the signatories to this letter are the national ambassadors. The general circulation models of climate on which international policy is at present founded are unfit for the purpose. Therefore, it is cruel as well as imprudent to advocate the squandering of trillions of dollars on the basis of results from such immature models. Current climate policies pointless and grievously undermine the economic system, putting lives at risk in countries denied access to affordable, reliable electrical energy. We urge you to follow a climate policy based on sound science, realistic economics, and genuine concern for those harmed by costly but unnecessary attempts at mitigation. So that was back in
2: 2019. Let's move forward to more recent. It's basically the same group. It's this
1: clintel.org group. But the number of scientists that have signed on to this is now over 1,600. Yeah, 1,609 signatories. So they've had another 1,100 people sign on to this. But here's just a few points that I just wanted to go over. So they're saying that natural as well as anthropogenic factors cause warming. So anthropogenic, that is influence factors. So they're saying the geological archive reveals that Earth's climate has varied as long as the planet has existed, with natural cold and warm phases. The Little Ice Age ended as recently as 1850. Therefore, there's no surprise that we are now under, or we are now experiencing a period of warming. Again, where were the 8 billion people burning fossil fuels at that time? They've also stated that warming is far slower than predicted. Climate Policy relies on inadequate, excuse me, models. CO two is plant food, the basis of all life on Earth. This, you know, CO two being a plant food. I remember in school being taught about the water cycle, where water evaporates, goes up in the atmosphere, condenses, and come back down in rain. There's also a carbon cycle, which I was alluding to earlier, that CO two taken in by plants is then taken in. Uh, So, yeah, the plants take it in, use it as food, expel oxygen that we humans use, and we also use the plants for food, directly or indirectly, and then the cycle just keeps going. Uh, Global warming has not increased
2: natural disasters, and climate policy must respect scientific and economic realities. Another thing that's talked a lot about is about the the ice shelves
1: in the North and South Poles. So here's a recent article that was put out, and it talks about the change in the Ar- Antarctic ice shelf area from a period of 2009 to 2019. So you would think that based on all of the information that is being put out now, that the ice should be... Uh, diminishing. We should be having less and our water levels should be going up across the earth. But this study went and looked at a whole bunch of information with regards to that and they've came to the, come to the conclusion that the Arctic ice shelf area has grown by 5,305 square kilometers since 2009. So over that 10 year period, it grew. And what this consisted of was 18 ice shelves retreating and 16 larger shelves growing
2: so when people say that the arctic ice shelves are retreating yeah they're partially true
1: but they're they're ignoring the part where
2: it's actually growing so when one area is retreating the other area is growing Uh, This one's fairly recent. This was from July this year, where
1: a number of climate scientists have blown a whistle on the IPCC. And the IPCC is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. So top climate scientists have blown the whistle to reveal that they were ordered to cover up the truth about alleged global warming on Earth. For the past six years, the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, has been diligently compiling an authoritative report on the full extent of man-made global warming. And according to a leak, it apparently shows that global temperatures haven't increased in 15 years. The hundreds of esteemed scientists who worked on the report confirmed that 1998 was the hottest year on record. Ever since that time, temperatures have either generally remained the same or declined, which blows major holes in the government's global warming narrative. Politicians who obtained the leaked report of this report are now trying to cover up that fact that based on its findings, man-made climate change is a hoax. And once the truth gets out, everything governments are, are doing to go green will also be exposed as nothing more than a power grab. With the word def- If the word was to get out, the global warming and climate change are a hoax. It would end a massive or sorry, it would result in a massive revolt against the government for being misleading about the state of the planet. German leaders are calling for the contradictory data to simply be deleted from the report. While Hungary's leaders were the report's release at all will provide ammunition
2: for climate deniers to say we told you so. Here's the one that I think every Canadian should pay attention to. So
1: we've had politicians in the past that are shutting down coal-fired power plants because they're too dirty. Canada can't have those. But our Canadian Pension Plan Board has decided that they're going
2: to invest a bunch of basically our money in Chinese coal projects. So the Canadian Pension
1: Plan Investment Board is jeopardizing Canadians' retirement savings, undercutting federal government policy, and making a mockery of one of the country's few points of climate leadership on the world stage by investing $141 million
2: in Chinese coal companies. So why are they doing that? It's no good here in Canada, but it's obviously good in, in, in China. Uh, here's
1: a Nobel laureate uh, by the name of John, Dr. John F. Clauser. He recently won a Nobel Prize in Physics back in 2022, and he has criticized the climate emergency narrative, calling it dangerous corruption of science that threatens the world's economy and the well-being of billions of people. In a statement issued by the CO2 Coalition, uh, if people haven't heard about that, uh, do a search on CO2 Coalition. There's a lot of good information there. Dr. Clauser said that there is no climate crisis and that increasing CO2 concentrations will benefit the world. He criticized the prevalent climate models as being unreliable and not accounting for the dramatic temperature stabilizing feedback of clouds which he says is more than 50 times as powerful as the radiative forcing effect of CO2. What that means is that, uh, so they've been stating for years that CO2 is a greenhouse gas. It keeps the energy within the Earth's atmosphere, so you'll have a net warming. But he's saying that actual cloud coverage can do the opposite and actually stabilize temperatures on the Earth and reduce them by blocking out the sun. And it is 50 times more effective than what they say CO2 is on the opposite side. So he st- says here, clouds reflect sunlight energy back into space before it can reach the Earth's surface to heat it. According to the Nobel laureate, this creation of a reflective cloud cover provides a natural thermostat that regulates the earth's temperature with a powerful negative feedback effect he asserts that this temperature regulating effect is more than 50 times as strong as the warming effect of co2 dr clauser's statements said that the ipcc and National academy of sciences repeatedly concede that the effects of clouds do indeed represent the greatest uncertainty in their climate predictions so they're actually even admitting it but behind closed doors they're not admitting it publicly where everybody can see it. Misguided climate science has metastasized into massive, shock journalistic pseudoscience. In turn, the pseudoscience has become a scapegoat for a wide variety of other unrelated ills. It has been promoted and extended by similarly misguided business marketing agents, politicians, journalists, government agencies, and environmentalists. In my opinion, and then this is Dr. Clauser, there is no real climate crisis. There is, however, a very real problem with providing a decent standard of living to the world's expanding population, especially given an, un- an associated energy crisis, which we've been seeing recently. The latter is being unnecessarily exacerbated by what, in my opinion, is incorrect climate sciences. However, the 2023 report from the IPCC calls for countries to ramp up their pledges to lower greenhouse gas emissions enough to reduce global emissions by 60% by 2035. So they're seeing this information. They know this information. They know the other side of it. Yet they're still doubling down and pushing for governments to push this further, which is not going to help us on Earth. And actually, just today, I heard of a a reporter here in Canada ask a politician, basically, if you're talking about hurricanes and and natural disasters, they asked, well, when are we going to see the effect of the carbon tax reducing the severity and frequency of such drastic weather, which I thought was
2: a great question.
1: Something else that's been talked about quite a bit lately is directed energy weapons. Again, a lot of people would probably say it's not true. It's not really true. But here's a, a document from GAO. And GAO stands for Government Accountability Office. So here they're talking about directed energy weapons. And there's, there's different levels of what they can do. So they're saying here that they can temporarily degrade electronics on a drone or they can physically destroy it. All directed energy weapons emit energy at the speed of light and are often discussed in terms of the power output, the amount of electromagnetic energy transferred over time. While DEWs use electromagnetic energy similar to everyday items, such as household microwaves, their power output is vastly higher. So high-energy lasers produce a very narrow beam of light, usually in the infrared to visible region, and are typically used on one target at a time. The beam can be pulsed or continuous, generating a power output of at least one kilowatt. This output is 2000 t- or sorry, 200,000 times greater than a typical laser pointer and is capable of
2: melting steel.
1: millimeter Wave weapons have wavelengths between 1 and 10 millimeters and generate more than 1 kilowatt of power. Millimeter wave weapons have a large beam size or larger than high-energy lasers and therefore can affect multiple targets at once. High-power microwave weapons produce microwaves which have longer wavelengths than higher-energy lasers and millimeter wave weapons. These weapons can produce more than 100 megawatts of power which is nearly 150,000 times more powerful than the average household microwave. Like my millimeter wave weapons, they can also affect multiple targets based on their larger beam size. So this little picture here gives an idea of the differences of the energy that they can put out. This one here called deny. I find that one very interesting. And the reason is I saw probably... Three to five years ago, I saw an article of a journalist talking to military. And they were talking about this technology where they could push back uh, people. And I thought, well, how are they going to do that? Well, what it is, is they can use microwaves directed at you so that when you get in it within a certain range of that device, your water in your body is going to start to boil. And you will want to immediately retreat but they can ramp it up they can know where they can degrade or damage uh devices or they can completely destroy here they're talking about a drone but it uh, sorry a drone but they've made reference of also being able to melt steel so directed energy weapons can deny entrance to an area or prevent enemy forces or assets from functioning within an area directed energy weapons used Denial do not cause long-term damage to targets, and when enemy forces or assets leave the area, they typically regain function or the effect is mitigated. That's basically the the deny here, which can be used on humans as well. For example, the Department of Defense's active denial system uses millimeter waves that interact with the water and fat molecules in a person's skin to create a heating sensation. During testing, the discomfort persuaded individuals to move away from the area. If a greater amount of force is required, directed energy weapons can also damage or destroy enemy assets. To do this, a high-energy laser can emit electromagnetic energy with a wavelength the target material uh, absorbs most effectively, which melts the material. So, the laser could focus on a sensor and damage a drone, or focus on a fuel tank or battery and destroy it. Uh, A couple other things that I just actually saw last night, late last night, and I haven't really researched it, but I just want to show people here. Uh, I believe these are defense contractors at Northrop Grumman. There's information on their website with regards to directed energy weapons. And there's also this website from the Kirtland Air Force Base, where, again, they talk about directed energy, directed overview. I haven't had time to go over that, but if uh, anybody wants to
2: on their own, have a look at that. And I'm going to close out with this one here. Earlier this year, people were stating that the Earth is going to boil.
1: So where's the boiling? Where's the heat? This was from Yahoo News where they're talking about a bunch of cities in Ontario and Quebec where they failed to hit a typical 30, 30 degrees Celsius daytime high within the month of August. I grew up in southwestern Ontario, and when I was a kid, there was a lot of days it was over 30 degrees. But in a year that they're saying that the earth is going to boil, these areas are not... Um, Experiencing even regular high temperatures. But if you look at this further, they're stating, well, all the heat is in Western Canada. But I actually live in Southern Alberta now. And from what I've seen this year in Alberta, it's not even as hot as I've experienced in the past. In the early 2000s and late 90s, I remember being 40, 42 degrees in Southern Alberta. And a lot of days that were over thirty degrees this year in Alberta, we did get some days over thirty, but it wasn't a lot. So, in my opinion, this year was not a record hot year in southern Alberta and that's it. That's all I have. Oh, sorry, one more thing, just a quote that I come across that i that I like, and it states that I would rather have questions that cannot be answered than to have questions that cannot be questioned. That was from a guy, an American theoretical physicist, by the
2: name of Richard Feynman. I just thought that was an interesting quote. Okay. Bring me on.
0: There we are. Okay. Wow, Mike, I just wanted to let you go at it because you had sent me some information in advance of your presentation. And I just, uh, you know, know how important that is to move through the whole process of it. I was thinking about the list of questions that you asked and I, as I was going through that process and we're talking you know, about our kids in the school and their education and their academic achievement declining um, on previous shows and here's a perfect reason why they don't want our kids to think critically because the questions that you've asked are reasonable, practical, simple questions. And uh, I'm just talking about, for instance, you know, you you talk about the fellow with the uh, airplane and the 42 vehicles, and it's like, yeah, why is, you know, why is he able to own all of these planes? And yet the rest of us are, you know, being instructed to take the bus. Uh, why do climate change gurus, you'd ask, buy waterfront properties if there's such a concern, you know, about the, the level of water? i I really appreciated your information about the ice. And um, uh, Tom Harris has stated that very clearly as well, that the ice is not melting. We don't have to, uh, you know, be super concerned about that. And again, I mean, if we're just taking a look at the history of uh, the weather through the summers, we can figure out that you know it hasn't been extreme weather temperatures but what it what has happened is the media is taking it and amplifying it as if it is and yeah, and I would, so <laughs> you know I would all of this- in
1: there if you look at the the weather forecasts the graphics that they're using now they're showing hot you know like red colors and pink colors to show temperatures that You know, in my lifetime, they're not extreme, not even close. But they're using that graphic to instill fear as well.
0: Right. And in the weekly action that I had provided everybody, there is this new arm to, I call it the propaganda arm, the media arm, called Covering Climate Now. CC Now, and they said, uh, collaborates with journalists and newsrooms to to produce informed and urgent climate stories to make climate a part of every beat in the newsroom. And if you go to the Weather Channel as well, you can see that they're taking any natural storm that happened previously. And again, fear mongering is behind it and amplifying it in order to, you know, continue on uh, with this agenda with the mass populace. And and it is falling apart. The more that we can get this kind of a message out, even though they're censoring us, I, I believe it's gone beyond. They can no longer censor us. We are, We are finding ways to communicate. And more and more Canadians and citizens around the world are standing up. Now, there's a list of questions. Some questions had been coming in. And, um, first of all, I want to let people know that you were on talk truth as well, having an interview and they are going to create a booklet with these highlighting these important points and your questions. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Uh, I've made that part up, but, uh, they've asked me to add a little bit more information. So I just need to get the time to add that in there and then get back to them. It's going to be, I'm thinking probably more like a, uh, a brochure, but it might be bigger. Mm -hmm. I'm not 100% sure yet.
0: Okay, well, still, it's going to be an important resource that people can use. It will guide them on the questions to ask, things that you've provided. I just want to let people know, on the page that we have created for Mike on Action for Canada, we will include this information. We're going to want you all mobilized, because the government is especially using this to tax us to death. And so can we talk about that for a moment? Uh, Again, on our weekly action, uh, Sheila will be putting this in the chat for you to uh, review that page. And we'll will also have it in the description of this video if you're watching it after the Empower Hour. But there really is, you know, this very sinister agenda attached to all of this. And these globalist elites, I think it was, was it Mickey Willis or somebody saying that there was, oh, there's only 10,000 of them and there's like 9 billion or 8 billion of us. Like we should be able to take them out and take them down just by not complying, but by also coordinating and that 's what action for Canada is doing with our chapters and getting our communities built up is so that we can elect good, honest people into office. Yes, I said that good, honest elected officials all in the same sentence because you know, but that comes from us right we 've got to raise those people up we've got to get behind them and and we 've got to work really hard door knocking and, and getting them into position so that we can take down crazy things like the uh, carbon tax and within the report, I had included. Uh just recently, I think it was um not Globe and Mail, I forget uh, blacklocks or whoever had uh, reported first on it, but there was a federal audit that concluded that a five year program that the federal government had been funding 133.7 million of our tax dollars failed to cut emissions. <laughs> Zero. Like no difference. Yeah. We know we know all of this is just fake climate change, fraud fake emissions problems, CO2, and all the rest. So uh, knowledge is power, and we've really got to dig in and know the information so that we can be effective when we go and talk to our elected officials. Um, okay, uh, just I'm going to get to a couple of questions, and let me see. It says, do you feel what is being injected into the skies can be causing issues like burning eyes, persistent coughing, uh, ra- and rather than the fires, the smoke from the fires causing it. Like, what are the chemicals that they're using? And I know that there's some, had said there's mercury and and different things, but how is that affecting people medically? Do you know? I
1: I haven't really delved into that too much, but I know that there's a lot of aluminum, barium, uh, sulfur-related compounds that uh, are being emitted. And yes, could they be affecting eyes and And uh, throat irritation, definitely.
0: Right. There's reports actually coming out that uh, it is causing, it's affecting and causing dementia. And uh, neurological, yeah, neurological problems. And we see what it's doing. uh, People have reported on uh, trees, plants. Uh, myself here in BC, talking with Dan Vachon in Nova Scotia, have noticed that our Japanese or, or- ornamental trees and-, and other leafy trees are becoming... Uh, just the the quality of the leaf they' they 're dying and falling off through the summer months when they should be flourishing, and we know it 's definitely not because of the summer heat because i 've lived in my home thirty years and i 've never had this problem before. So I believe you know that it 's a chemical that 's being dropped upon the earth, and the other part of that um, would be then do you think that this chemical residue that is uh, ending up on the Earth's surface and on our plants is helping to ignite the fires
1: yeah yeah i've heard uh talk about that and it falls in line with that usda uh report and they actually did experimentation with uh, chemicals such as napalm and a few other chemicals back uh during that time so has that advanced since then definitely
0: yeah I, I, I feel it. Um, my mom and I have had uh, instances. I'm going to turn to what you were talking about in the end there about the uh, weather manipulation and the government's uh, where, oh, sorry, I'm not on the right page. Hang on. It was the last point about the uh, it being a bioweapon, right? The directed energy. And I know that we've got towers. Everybody probably on this call and that will be watching this video has experienced that it, um I almost feel the negative energy of what they're distributing through the airwaves, through the 5G, and all of the towers that put, are, they're putting up. Can you speak into that at all?
1: Well, I've, I've come across information also where they've used the technology of HAARP, um, where they superheat the ionosphere, which impacts our temperatures. And also with regards to the weather, that they use uh, radar locations and other devices throughout the Earth to actually direct storms. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of impact in there. There, There's a whole bunch more to learn about it. There's a lot of information. I did recently come across a video where somebody was debunking harp, and they made the argument that that device was handed over to the University of Alaska. So, you know, the government, Department of Defense or whoever aren't using that device anymore. And within two weeks, I saw another video of a military uh, person who stated that, yeah, we don't use Harp anymore because we don't need it because our technology is advanced. We have systems all around the world that's way more effective, way more efficient, and way easier to get. certain places
0: right and i want our viewers to understand too as far as the 5g is concerned uh, there's a certain qualification that needed to be met as far as uh, uh, technology and the energy i can't uh, quite remember all of the right terminology for it and it's from 30 40 years ago and Health Canada is refusing to update it to incorporate uh, 5G. And the reason it's important uh, to everything that we're talking about, because we're talking about the energy that's passed through the air, is 5G is actually, by the World Health or- Organization, deemed a carcinogenic. And a carcinogenic would be like Monten- Mon- uh, what is it, Monteso, Monsanto. Mon- monsanto's uh, uh uh chemicals and that they've been banned because they're c- considered a carcinogenic so that can get into it, it absorbs into your skin and it causes cancer and other problems and so they're actually deeming 5g energy a carcinogenic that means that it penetrates your skin and causes harm to your body and that's why yeah, as we're getting all the- Right. And as we're getting all these towers and everything, you know, that are increasing around us, and this again goes back to why it's so important for us to replace all of these individuals uh, who are in government, in our especially at the uh, municipal level. If we can get our municipalities to just say no, then it doesn't matter what the provincial uh, government or what the federal government implements, we're in control within our own community. And we have to take our our country back one town and city at a time. Um, Okay, so another question, where did new terms like atmospheric river or heat dome come from? They're impressive words.
2: I, I I don't know that.
0: Okay, I appreciate I'm just going to throw them at you there and see, see how many we can get through. Uh, yeah, there's some regarding the Maui fa- fires as well. Is a directed energy weapon uh, feasible as a casual explanation for Maui or other fires? Um, we could even just, never mind Maui fires, but we could relate it to what happened here in Kelowna, British Columbia, as as well as the Shushwap area. Um, I think I'm going to take that two different ways. I'm not saying necessarily directed energy was there, but there were those that were saying there was a chemical st- substance that ignited the fires very quickly in the dry country here in British Columbia. But yeah, do you have any say about anything about the, the fires and the directed energy?
1: So going back to the Maui, which would apply, I believe, anywhere, uh, just late last night I saw a video where a lady was talking about uh, on the island of Maui, there's an observatory up on, the, up on a mountain, and there was talk. It's, she was saying that it's not definitive, but possibility that uh, some of the direct energy weapons could have been coming from up there, or it could right. be coming from drones, it could be coming from aircraft, satellites. Mm-hmm. There's a number of options
0: right and i think that it would be a good idea for us to understand uh because like you say technology has increased so much from 30 40 50 years ago and right now they're putting what we think is 5g uh communication towers on top of uh buildings on top of our light posts and are those you know actually uh systems that would be able to effectively Uh, limit what people could do or, you know, an attack against uh, uh, citizens.
1: I haven't studied 5G that much, but uh, I would agree that uh, there's definitely the possibility that there's technologies that we don't know about that could be used.
0: Okay. And here's another question. How can CO2, how can less than 2% CO2 in our atmosphere... Example, it says 20 to 22 percent oxygen, 74 percent nitrogen, leaves roughly five percent for all other gases. Um, I don't know quite what the question is there. How can less than two percent in our atmosphere? They didn't find, finish the question. More CO2 oh. equals a greener earth. How here, how does less than two percent of our atmosphere heat up the earth?
1: <laughs> well, just to take a step back, uh. Typically, the Earth is about 70, you know, the air is typically about 79% nitrogen and about 21% oxygen. Those are just rough numbers. You've also got CO2 and a few other gaseous uh, components out there. From what I've seen, the CO2 concentration on Earth right now is about 420 ppm. So we're actually, that's uh, 0.4%. So we're actually even way lower than the the 2%. Um, interesting point with that is if you get the co2 concentration below 200 ppm so about half of what we're at now we could start seeing plant life start to be affected and i've also heard numbers that if you get down to 150 to 180 ppm that the earth is going to die there's not going to be enough co2 for photosynthesis and plants are going to die
0: yeah, I've read that, uh, recently as well, and it's extremely concerning. I mean, I keep calling it, you know, fake climate change and this whole fraud. Uh, it's been a massive wealth, uh, redistribution as well. Uh, because you mentioned, you showed a diagram of, uh, was it Bloomberg, who was uh, owns all the planes and, and yep. uh, the cars? Okay, so we take a look at that, and where do you think his wealth has come from? They're spending millions, if not billions of dollars, billions, I'll say billions of dollars in Canada, implementing the 15-minute cities and uh all these environmental uh, initiatives which we already have the proof coming out that they're not lowering emissions what what do you suggest we do you know about this i know that you're appealing to people regarding the carbon tax like question this but in order to question it you have to be well educated to be able to go into an elected official's uh, office and those for those who are pro carbon tax and really I think intentionally at this point, falling into the climate change scenario, you have to be able to have a good argument to go forth and uh, have a conversation with these individuals.
1: Well, I don't think you really have to be that educated. It certainly is going to help. You'd be able to go toe-to-toe in an argument. But part of why I want these questions out there is for other people to use to question them. I don't think they really need to fully understand it, but they need to hold the task, the politicians, to answer those questions. They need to hold the task that politicians allow true scientific debate, because no scientific debate is only political science. If you can't talk about both sides, that's propaganda. So we need to hold our politicians to account to allow that conversation to be had in a public space uninhibited so that everybody can take in the information and then we decide it's up to us it's not to that it's not up to the minority it's up to we as the people to make the decision and we need to come together in a large enough voice to have that impact
0: i agree i i love it you have made this so easy for us because as i mentioned your questions are are practical and they're well thought out and they're simple questions right if 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 this is what the politicians are supporting are you considering the the actual facts surrounding that and uh anyways you've engaged it i look forward to having the questions with your answers provided and we'll be providing those on Action for Canada for our viewers who are interested in pursuing this with your elected officials.
1: So I think even something as simple as you take the Great Lakes. The science is that uh, they were formed by the expansion and contraction of ice, ice sheets. Okay, so if that's true, where were the 8 billion people burning hydrocarbons on the earth, creating an uh, increased amount of CO2? Creating the warming and cooling effects is contradictory. And that's a very simple one where you can just hold politicians to account. Explain that to me. Make that make sense in my mind because it doesn't. Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I, and, and like I say, I, I was really grateful that you had sent me the questions along with the answers in advance because mm-hmm. I was sitting here, you can see my highlighter, like I was <laughs> highlighting them, giving check marks because I'm like, yeah, exactly. Why do climate change gurus buy water by the, you know, by uh, waterfront properties? And as well, why were there 400 Grasp that 400 private jets at the COP 27 held in Egypt in November 2022. If they're so worried about CO2 levels and as well, what you said about China. I mean, we've all looked at China and their coal mines and they're not working to shut any of that down. Who are the biggest polluters? If we are going to talk about pollution, China is one of the worst polluters in the world and we have a net zero, uh, you know, CO2 here in, in Canada. So, yeah, it's just the, a matter of thinking critically a little bit, a little bit of extra thought.
1: Yeah. And Canada only emits 1.6% of the world's CO2.
2: Right. Yet which we is, have
1: the second largest country in the world for landmass. So, going back to is Canada a net sink? I believe so. We've got so much open land that where vegetation and trees and everything grows, and it, that all sequesters carbon dioxide. It sequesters it, no matter where it comes from in the world. It just needs to uh, to come to there.
0: So the message is. We need to, uh, you know, commence getting as much of our natural resources out of the ground as possible and getting all our good neighbours there in uh, Alberta back to work. And we need to <laughs> stop bu- buying oil, uh, you know, from, uh, thir- from countries across the ocean. I mean, they're so worried even about, you know, the environment. And we've had oil spills and, you know, things happen like that, but they don't stay consistent with their story. We should be Stole. producing oil in Canada and we should be refining it. And I bet you we'd be paying 50 cents a liter at the pump.
1: (laughs) So I work in the oil and gas industry. I've worked in Canada. I've worked in multiple places across the world, Middle East, North Africa. There is nowhere else in the world that comes close to the standards that Canada uses. Nowhere. You want to see dirty oil? You want to see dirty oil? Go somewhere else in the world. You're going to come back to Canada and you're going to be thankful how the industry works in Canada.
0: Right. And, you know, really all in the end as well, we were doing very well with our natural resources. We've talked on our show before about the lithium mines, how those lithium batteries are created on the backs of uh, children and pregnant women. And, you know, it's a slave slavery industry to get us everything we need in our products. And it makes me want to throw them all out. And we've got to come up to two ways. Uh, so we already do. We have a, a wonderful it's not to say that it will, you know, uh, uh, serve our competitors. Computers, But we have a clean energy that was fueling our vehicles. The CO2 is good. We've got a mass amount of trees. I mean, if you've ever flown across Canada and seen all of the trees in Canada, that's why we're producing so much CO2. And we need to continue to do that. We can't allow them, you know, to interfere with our skies and the sun and the rain and the weather. And, uh, you know, uh, Mike, thank you again so much for coming on the show and sharing all of this with us. I'm going to really encourage Encourage people to see our weekly action. We're going to be providing, uh, I've said numerous times, the questions and the answers. Don't send the answers to the elected officials. Ask them the questions first, and then at least you have the answers to come back with. And we need to start by getting rid of this crazy carbon tax, and it needs to become uh, a a campaign issue. We've succeeded in getting the LGBTQ, the SOGI123 parental rights a campaign issue. That's because en masse, Canadians have risen up against it. We need to unmask, we need to rise up against this nonsensical carbon tax that is just putting the cost of food through the roof for people, our energy, how we heat our home. It's affecting everything, and it's got to stop. So anything that you'd like to add on that before we close the show?
1: Yeah, one thing that I would like to add, and it's something that I think that all Canadians need to know, with regards to the initiatives coming from uh, Trudeau, with his just transition. Based on our constitution, he has no authority on that. The authority on natural, uh, non-renewable resources is with the provinces,
2: Hmm.
1: not the federal government. I can't remember the exact section. I think it's... uh, I think it's 92A of the constitution from 1857. But it is absolutely clear that the power for controlling and administering non-renewable natural resources is at the provincial level, not federal. So he is definitely overstepping his bounds on that.
0: Well, and this is why you reached out to Daniel Smith, who, you know, wants to pretend to be a friend of ours. But if she was, she would be uh, taking further actions. We appreciate some of the policies and steps she's putting forth. But uh, things like Pastor Ardopolowski is, you know, going to his sentencing hearing on Monday. It's going to be the 18th, uh, September 18th. And, you know, it's it's uh, all fine and well that when Jason Kenney was in, he was be able to manipulate, you know, the courts and secret orders and, you know, uh, get the lockdowns in place and uh, just violate all of our guaranteed rights. And now Danielle Smith comes out and she can't do a little freedom loving actions that uh, would be more aggressive on the side, you know, of, of uh, you know, Canadians. And so we're going to just keep pressing in to our elected officials. But the more people on the masses that come forward, the more that this is going to become a campaign issue. And yes, thank you, Anne. You've also mentioned those four young men, the coots boys, who are uh, unlawfully in just rotting away, what is it, for a year and a half in uh, not even a uh, prison, a proper Uh, prison but a detention center sorry i'm giving a shout out on the show right now to those four young men i mean it is so diabolical and so criminal and so cruel and inhumane uh what is going on under um the rule of the alberta government and uh those individuals. And so yeah, I do believe they have a lot more power. And we have got to be a force as citizens coming up against this. So thank you, Mike, for everything that you're doing. Thank you for bringing the awareness. We at Action for Canada are going to try to, we're not going to try to, we are going to amplify your message. And we're uh, training everybody on how to approach their cities on the about the 15 minute cities. We've had Jeff Snitzer on, like I said, about the policies that are going on within. And then uh, Lisa came on about other legalities and uh, you know what it is that we're moving towards with the C40 agenda. And now you're coming in with these practical, reasonable questions that we can ask our elected officials. So we're going to use all of this information together to be able to go in and uh, really effectively turn this around. So thank you so much for being on the show. Was there anything that you want to say in closing? The
1: biggest thing is we need to come together as a force that cannot be reckoned with. That's when we're gonna enact change.
0: Okay. Amen to that. All right. Thank you, my friend. We'll we'll be in touch. All right. God bless. All right. Wow. Yeah, that was uh, an amazing presentation. And I would even encourage you that once we post this tomorrow on our Rumble page, that you begin to take that presentation and send it to your elected officials, uh, begin to get them educated. They've been very hard, lobbied very hard from the globalist. We know that uh, Klaus Schwab has had meetings with mayors, Bill Gates has. And uh, so you know what, they got to hear from us, the people, and we need to uh, demand answers from them, and then we need to demand that they overturn this, we have the uh, constitution that 's on our side saying all of this is illegal and unlawful. This is a takeover of our nation, and we have the coronation Oath that is on our side that states very, very clearly that everything is on biblical principles. We have a right to defend our families, we have a right to work, we have a right to defend our borders, and we have a, a, a responsibility to expose evil. And we're going to continue to do that and work towards solutions. All right, next week's guest on our show is going to be our Audrey Werner. We're going to go back to talking about what's going on in our school systems. And uh, Audrey is uh, from Texas, and I met her when I was reaching out to different senators and Individuals who were successfully again, you know, why? It's because people were lobbying government, and that they had mass amounts of support from their communities to get the job done. So they have been really making tremendous advancements in 26 states in the U.S. with legislation that protects our children, protects parental rights, and protects children from even getting mutilating transitioning medical procedures the surgeries so anyways audrey's been fully involved with, with that but she has also uh done speaking engagements to uh, express and to show who the individuals were that got all of this going who is it that's teaching sexual health in our schools where did this come from you're gonna hear names like hugh hefner and that's right that's right hugh hefner was involved with this planned parenthood Margaret Sanger, we're going to hear about, uh, of course, uh, Alfred Kinsey. These are vile people who are behind sexual health teaching in our schools. And once we have that information, it's going to arm us with new tools in our tool belt to go in there and question the school boards, how in the world could you possibly be supporting this agenda based on who created it? So that's going to be a wonderful show. And then again, we're going to be using that information to reach out to elected officials within school boards, Minister of Education, etc., and say we're calling for a full stop on sexual health. And unless it's like with Bill Lees coming on for our parent and uh, youth uh, webinar series that's coming up, teaching about uh, biblical sexual principles, teaching about abstinence, teaching kids to respect one another, we got a lot of work to do, and we are gaining background from the territory that the enemy has stolen, and we're really excited about that, and Audrey is one step towards taking back more ground. All right, Um, I don't know if we have the... Uh, one ready for the 27th, but Robert is going to be coming back. Oh, yay, we do. So part two will be Canadian fires equals global control. The first one was global fires equals glo- global control. Robert's coming back and doing part two, and he's going to be focusing on Canadian fires. Uh, he's done a lot of talks on uh, Maui as well to say absolutely, you know, the direct energy that was involved in those fires. Again, uh, we've got to expose this evil and these people need to be just completely just pulled right out of their government seats and held to account. Uh, This is very serious, the devastation that and the attack against humanity. So we're going to be very happy to bring you uh, those uh, Empower Hours and have those speakers on. All right. In closing, I'm going to uh, read a couple of Bible verses to you. Deuteronomy 10.14, the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord our God. And I can tell you, it is not going to go well. I mean, evil has always been permitted a time to rise up in the history of the world. You will see that evil will rise up and then good rises up and evil rises up because people forget what goodness is And they go to, you know, a carnal life that is reflected on self. And once you start doing that and you take God out of our schools and God out of government, it it really does take a shift. And there is no doubt why this evil has been able to prevail for a time, but it it is coming to an end. But I am just appealing to citizens to understand if you believe in evil, there's a good and only God is good. And God is saying that everything on earth, everything belongs to him. He is in control of the uh, the weather. He is in control of all things. They They can try to be God if they like, but they're going to ultimately fail. All right, the next Bible verse. It is from Genesis 8.22, and this is a reminder to us that after the flood, God promised, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. I just said, God is in charge of all things. They can try to manipulate the weather he is in control of the weather. That's why we didn't have extreme weather here in British Columbia. What we had is people manipulating, creating fires and other disasters. Those were man-made disasters, all right? That was not the weather. They have not been successful in manipulating the weather to the extent that they would like. And as well, you know, seed time and harvest. How is that being affected? Man-made problem. They're prohibiting people from using water. And we are looking to have somebody coming on our show in in October, where we're going to talk about the control of water. And so all of the problems being made are man-made. They are not God-made, all right? God is in control, and what God created, he meant for our good. And so we need to care about who we're electing into office. We need them to believe that God is good. And we need them to be moral and upright individuals. And then we won't have these man-made problems. All right? Those kind of people are going to jail. (laughs) They wouldn't exist if we got good people in government. All right? So I love you very much. Um, I just say God bless you. God bless Canada. And we'll see you next week. And make sure that you share this Empower Hour.
4: Oh, yeah. Don't waste what they did. We have guaranteed rights in this country. We're putting chapters across the nation. We are going to be in every town and every city And we are going to build communities within these communities of like-minded people who are actually going to care for one another again and love on each other and give each other the help when they're down. We are going to use the the, uh, teams and the people that build within chapters to support our businesses. The government's actions are completely 100% unlawful. Judgment will again be found on justice. And those with virtuous hearts will pursue it. You have a virtuous heart if you are here today pursuing freedom and righteousness. And then verse 23 comes along with a promise. God says he will turn the sins of evil people back on them. He will destroy them for their sins. I take great comfort in that because I serve a mighty living God who has allowed us to go through this season of discomfort because we as the nation have turned our backs on Him and we need to get right. So I am just going to thank you so much. I'm going to say God bless you and God bless Canada. <laughs>